Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you've chosen to meet with us either online or maybe you're at one of our sites right now. Wherever you are in the world or one of our sites, welcome to week two as we continue to begin our brand new ministry season. And here in Canada, welcome to the fall. Now, like I shared last week, our God-given theme in this season, in this moment, is just found in one little word, stand. And 2nd and 3rd John are the shortest letters in the New Testament, but they're such a gift because they teach us how to stand for truth and how to stand for love, but they also define what truth is and define what love is and, of course, what they are not. Now, you must listen to last week's message and connect it to this. It's like Lego. They're building on each other. Now, in the first six verses, John builds out our core identity. If you're a Christian, called, we have grace and peace and mercy with the Father and the Son. There's a call to see truth and see love. And we found out that God himself is not just love or not just holy. He's actually holy love. And out of that, there's a call to radical obedience because of the holiness of God and the love of God. Again, like I said last week, if you cannot see, you cannot stand. But as we walk through 2 John, we are beginning to see. So if you're a seeker or a skeptic from another faith, you're seeing what the Christian faith is. And if you are a Christian, you're seeing more clearly. And once we see clearly, we can stand. That's why we called this series Faithfulness. We're actually seeing what the faith is. We're seeing the opportunity for fullness in Jesus. We get to be faithful. Now, John turns his attention in this little letter, from all the good that is already happening in us and all the good that God is, and he faces down a real significant threat, danger. He faces a real problem taking place in the church or churches he's writing to. Now, there are false pastors, false elders, false connect group leaders, false teachers bringing chaos into his area that he oversees. Now, I've said this before. I need to say this again big time. Everyone listen. Almost all false teachers don't actually know they're false teachers. Like I've shared before, we almost have this picture in our head that a false teacher is a charlatan. Ha <laughs> ha, I'm just deceiving these people. No, no, it's not like, sorry for the Star Wars reference, it's not like the Sith where Palpatine looks like a great guy and he's everything's fine on the outside, but in the inside he's some demonic character. No, no, most wolves think they're sheep. Let me say that again. Most wolves think that they are sheep. They're thinking, they think they're doing a humanity a favor. They think they're helping us understand God better. They think they have God's backing and they don't. Now, in this case, John is facing down one of the oldest enemies of the Christian faith, the Gnostics. And we know this because of verse 7 in 2 John. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Okay, now John has already addressed this spiritual cancer time and time again in 1 John. And in 1 John 4, 1, he does this overarching statement when he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John says, look, everyone, <laughs> we live in a supernatural world and we're called to discern and see and test all teaching and also all experiences. Why? Because many false prophets empowered by unholy spirits and or flesh and sin are in the world. So what John teaches us here is to evaluate experience and teaching, word and deed. We must look at every utterance that comes from a person and look at the person inspired by any spirit. Now, growing up in a conservative church like I did, I was taught that all this supernatural stuff was dangerous, made up, psychological or evil, and God doesn't do that weird stuff anymore. So let's just dismiss it all. 
We didn't need to go there, good or bad. So that makes life really easy for a pastor or leader. I don't need to deal with all the messiness of supernaturalism. I'm not going to deal with reality. It's just wrong. But that's not actually what John says here. He does not say, well, it could be abused or I've seen it abused before, so I don't expect God to work in power or it's just all evil. He says, test. For him, origin matters. The source matters. We need to understand this. The experience or even the teaching at the beginning can look the same, sound the same, but actually you won't be able to tell at the beginning of the conversation. It's the source that matters. What outlet are you plugged into? See, that's the critical question. And of course, the results in time will reflect the source. John says we're called to be discerning, not dismissive. Oh, let me say that again. John says that we are not to be, we are called to be discerning, not dismissive. And notice, John says, you together test the spirits. The implication is spiritual discernment is an obligation of the church and its leadership. The first way we discern, of course, is we know the Bible, the scriptures, the authority for faith, life, and practice. We determine what is right and wrong, what's neutral, what's gray, black and white out of scripture. But we also know some people among us have the spiritual gift of discernment, which, again, if you're new to us uh, and you don't know, just go back to our spiritual gift series and we outline in detail how that looks, how that functions here at Sanctus. But here's the critical point. We need to test. Why? Many false prophets have gone out in the world. Now, John is dealing with one variation of this cancer and this spiritual virus. He addresses it in 1 John 4, 2. This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit or person that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, he's saying this because he's dealing with a group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostic central teaching was spiritual things are good, and physical things matter is a product of evil. Now, from this unbiblical understanding, three major errors were already being taught within the first 40 years of the church. One, our bodies are evil. They're only the container. They're the jail. And the good inside of you is your soul. See, God, they would say, whose Holy Spirit is good. And the material universe is bad. So physical bad, spiritual good. Second of all, they started teaching that salvation was not achieved in faith through Jesus or the hope of the resurrection. It was special knowledge, Gnostic. That's where the idea of Gnosticism comes, Gnosis, knowledge. If you learned all this stuff, you'd be free from the physical. And of course, the implication is Jesus could not be fully human and fully God. So they were saying that Christ's true humanity was not real in the physical resurrection was not real. So let me unpack this. These so-called Christians said that the physical universe was bad, and then they started teaching Christians that they could live two different ways because that's true. Number one, if you think all physical things are bad, then you need to treat yourself and everything physical harshly. Get it controlled. So sex, bad. Enjoying good food, bad. Enjoying clothing, bad. Anything that's physical is bad. Just beat it down. and bit. Why? Because it's evil. The other group said, no, 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 don't worry about beating anything down. Enjoy everything. Use your body for pleasure and pain. Do whatever you want in any direction, sexually or physically. It doesn't matter because actually the true you is inside. What you do to your body cannot affect the true you. Your body and your gender, anything physical is actually not you. It's inside of you that is the real you. Sound familiar in our culture these days? 
Again and again, Jesus, John, Paul, Peter said, no, this is not a Christian worldview at all. The core of our Christian faith is based on the physical resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For what I received, I pass unto you as chief or first importance. That Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day he rose, according to the Scriptures. Okay, back to verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver, and the Antichrist. Oh, wow. Okay, listen to this. Those people that sing Christian songs and cry and raise their hands like you, they sing hymns like Amazing Grace and they love Hillsong. And they read your Bible and their Bible. And they run connect groups and have a great podcast and a really good Instagram feed. If they deny the basic truths of the faith, they are deceived, they're a liar, and they are connected to the Antichrist. I mean, this is what John said twice in 1 John. 1 John 2, 18, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it's the last hour. Or 1 John 4, 3, Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Let me say it again. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Antichrist can produce what appear to be the same things. Looks like Jesus, acts like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, might even do the same miracles of Jesus, not Jesus. That's why Satan is called an angel of light. He can lurk behind events that actually even are attributed to God, and he can imitate the things of God and Jesus himself for the purpose of deception. This is a real war. This isn't fair. Now, one day, there will be a person who will come on the scene, a genuine, genuine capital A Antichrist, and he'll act like Jesus, and he won't be Jesus, and wow. But the kingdom of darkness at this moment, see, we've been in the last days since the time of Jesus. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Many fallen spirits will empower all sorts of people to do false things. Okay, this is real important. Let me break it down this way. Spiritual conflict and deception always happens in two arenas. Doctrine and thinking, so worldview, how you think, and experience. Spiritual warfare is as much a worldview thing, an intellectual thing, as it is a feeling thing, emotional thing, an experiential thing. Never forget what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit, Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. In other words, there are teachings and worldviews that are actually inspired by the demonic, that deceive millions of people, and you wouldn't even know their inception point, the living heart in that idea is not just cultural or, or specifically to one person, but demonic. So you can actually be deceived intellectually or experientially. So if we need to see clearly and stand for truth and stand for love in this transitional dangerous cultural moment, then let me, what, let me do what I've done twice before, but please let me do it again. It matters so much. There are always three ways in every time period that false teaching shows up in the church. One, false ideas about who God is and what he's done. Two, false ideas of how to meet God and get salvation. And three, false ideas of how one gets to live after you meet God in a real and personal way.
So who God is, how you meet him, how you live. Now, there's going to be a lot here. Take some notes and even go back and listen, because this matters. Christian false teachers will teach you to violate, break, to change the ethical and doctrinal core of the Christian faith and still call it Christian. So, as I've done before, let me do it again. What are the non-negotiable truths about God and what he's done versus the things that we as genuine Christians can disagree with each other and still be family? And the best summary to start is the Apostles' Creed, written within the first 300 years of the Christian faith. We might differ on spiritual gifts, or women in ministry, or church style, or Calvinism versus Arminianism, or eternal security, but there are certain things that are redlined, that if you cross them, you're actually not a Christian. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, buried, descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of of God, the Father Almighty, where he'll come to judge the living and the dead. Oh, I, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Let me break this down. We believe in the existence of God, and there's only one God. There are spiritual beings in the universe, yes, that are God-like, but only one is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-known, all-eternal. He's the Father. He's a relational God. He's involved, and Father is his name. He is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. He's sovereign. He's the creator of heaven and earth. The natural and supernatural, heaven and earth, is reality. We believe in Jesus Christ. The Jesus of history is the same as the Jesus of faith. He's God's only son, meaning he's equal to God and being God, because you can't share the DNA of God and not be God, for only one being has that DNA. Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's the only true king. He's the king of the Jews, the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, and he's the king of the universe. We believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. God has come for us. He is without sin. He is fully human. He's not adopted. He's not like the Christ Spirit took over a man named Jesus. No, he didn't appear human. He is human. God entered into our history. We believe in the virgin birth, which allows Jesus to be truly without sin and points to the truth of miracles. We believe Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Our faith is rooted in actual historical events, not myth. We're not ashamed of this. We can back this up in history. Jesus was crucified, he died and arose again. We believe that Jesus actually physically came back after being dead for three days. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has overcome sin and death and the demonic, and Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Every person that has ever existed or ever will exist, when the end comes, will give an account to Jesus, no one else. We believe in the Holy Spirit. He's God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's not a force. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Some of you are like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. The church is not an institution. It's a living body. Holy, forgiven, Catholic, universal, spanning time, race, gender, culture. We believe in the communion of saints, the gathering of the church. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. We're cleaned by Jesus' work alone and what he did on our behalf. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Spiritual, not over physical. Actually, we'll be physically resurrected. All who trust in Jesus will be physically resurrected. We believe in life everlasting. All human beings will live forever. Some with God by choice, some without. The new heavens and the new earth and hell are real. See, this is the baseline. 
This is the foundation. This is the core of our faith. And actually, if you cannot confess these things, there is a chance you're not a Christian. The second thing is false teachers say you always need to add to the work of Jesus to be saved. If you accept Jesus and Jesus plus, fill in the blank, then you get saved. No, 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 no. We know we don't have enough money in the bank account to pay off the mortgage that's unpayable. Ephesians 2, it is by grace you get saved through faith. It's not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one gets to boast. See, good works come after. They're the evidence of relationship. It's not how you get the relationship. I think it was Chuck Swindoll that once said, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus anything becomes nothing. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Jesus, you must build your confidence in your own work. This came home to me so strong this week. I was on Instagram and I was watching this very young, insightful Muslim uh, imam, pastor in the States, big um, mosque, uh, using Instagram, basically a Muslim version of me. And um, he said these words, and it struck me. He said, do you not think you can come home to Allah? Do you not think you can come home to Allah because you're too sinful? He says, no, Allah, God is merciful. You can come home to God. He's merciful. And then the second thing he said, right after he said is, in God's mercy, you can come home. And then you must begin the process of doing many good works to erase your sin. Oh. God's merciful, but you better work it out. Man, I don't have enough in me to erase my sin, nor do you. That's false teaching. Lastly, false teachers will teach you, you can have right belief. You can have grace and salvation, but you don't actually have to obey God's word. This is actually probably the strongest version of false teaching in the Canadian church right now. Jesus' half-brother, Jude, addresses this uh, head-on, what he said in Jude 4, these are godless men, who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only King, sovereign and Lord. They're saying trespass is okay. You have the freedom to, you have the right to do whatever you want. Sin is wrong, but it's covered. These false teachers twist God's free forgiveness in Jesus to do whatever you want. Since we have God's forgiveness, we can do what we want, how we want, when we want, because there's no penalty. This is how they deny the sovereignty of God and the lordship, the kingship of Jesus by teaching that immorality is okay. Now, immorality in the Bible can either mean greed, worshiping another God, but here in Jude specifically, this word is a sexual word. It's used also by Peter in 1 Peter. Now, again, just please listen. If you read the Bible from beginning to end, there's a unified biblical worldview connected to sexuality and immorality. Sex is given by God, it's invented by God, it's for pleasure, it's fun, it's for procreation, it's for love, it's amazing. For Jude, right here for Peter, for Paul, any sexual act outside of marriage formed by God in Genesis is called, literally the word, if you look it up in the dictionary, immorality means like you can't do that. For Moses, for Jesus, for Paul, actually for all the biblical writers, the sexual starting point is Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. These teachers come along and say, Jesus is great, and Jesus is the Son of God, and you should love your Bible, and Jesus died for your sins, and everything is covered. Grace, grace, more grace. And since God is love, he would never say no to you or to your view of love or pleasure. 
Your authentic self is more important than some old teaching on sexuality. Now, let me just pause. Pastorally, how we work this out, how we love, how we support and come alongside people with all sorts of different perspectives and struggles is a completely different conversation. How we as local churches need to repent for not being loving, not listening, not giving space for people to openly struggle and question and wonder has to be addressed. And yet what we're just talking about here is the starting point. God has said yes and no to certain practices and certain things. And he's God and we're not. And by the way, this isn't just true for sex. This is true also for money and power. So these false teachers come along and say, God doesn't care how you live. And God does. Well, that's why he keeps uh, working this out. Second John 8. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Now, this isn't talking about losing your salvation. Just don't lose the reward. You can be saved and lose everything still on Judgment Day, other than your soul. Verse 9, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. These teachers think they have Jesus, but they don't have the real Jesus, which is leading to eternal loss. But those who have met the true living Jesus have God in his fullness. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, the true Jesus. The true Jesus reveals the true Father. Again, don't misunderstand this. This is critical. This is not saying real Christians should not or cannot struggle. This is not saying you cannot believe wrong things. This is not saying you cannot struggle or have questions or wonder. This is about perseverance and long-term understanding and fruit. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does, bring this, does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house and do not welcome them. Whoa, what? What about loving your neighbor? Okay, well, history matters. Remember, churches at this moment met in homes. This is saying, do not support, do not legitimize, do not give room in your life, your thinking, in your home, in your church, in your online feeds to false teachers. This is cancer. This can shipwreck certain people's faith. This can make Christians lose all of their effectiveness, lose their reward. Others could be lost for eternity. Now, this is not saying you can't have someone in your house that you disagree with. But be very careful that you don't accidentally endorse or support false teaching. Verse 11, anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Again, in the ancient world, hospitality was connected to affirmation. Now, this is not saying don't be hospitable to neighbors or friends or family members until you do some theological rapid test. I mean, Jesus would fail that. He hung out with everyone that was wrong. We actually need more hospitality between Christians these, these days. We, we need more hospitality to our neighbors that aren't Christians. By the way, this is going to be like one of the magic things, the secret sauce in a post-Christian world is to show love and build authentic relationships through hospitality. But he says here, no quarter is to be given on Twitter or Instagram or in your connect group or on a podcast to false teachers, which by the way, just as a side note, I've seen so many people in our church do this in the last 16 months that you have put a quote out or an Instagram thing out and you've quoted someone and you don't even know what they really stand for. Stop quoting people online before you find out what they really think and what they really represent. John ends by saying, listen, I, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to use paper and ink. <laughs> Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who's chosen by God, send their greetings. Probably another way of saying it, another local church says, what's up? Now, I want you to catch the tone of this. John's not angry. 
He's not mad. I'm not doing this because you're messed up. Or he said, look, I love you. I love your church so much. So I want you to see clearly so you can stand clearly. I want you to really know what true faith is so you can, so you don't give up on the fullness that God is actually giving you. See, I just want you to be faithful. Now, okay. Let's begin to unpack this a little bit. Notice these so-called Christian false teachers say that you can reject God's word and God's revelation and you're okay. They say you should or can reject God's authority and God has no right to tell you where the boundaries really are. Jesus, who is holy love, says no. Oh, never confuse this. Oh, there's unconditional love, but not unconditional acceptance of what we do. Unconditional love means anyone can come home but Jesus does not unconditionally accept what we do. Never confuse those two things. Time and time again, God says it is written. False teachers, Satan, our own heart says, is it written? Let me do that again. Time and time again, God says it is written. False teachers and Satan and sometimes our own heart says, is it written? Hmm. Okay, what do we do with this? Well, number one, we need to really sit here. There has to be a humility, a wondering, an evaluation. Question one, are you a false teacher? <laughs> or have you as a so-called Christian given in to certain parts of false teaching because of pain, history, experience, identity, life, podcasts, reading, and you don't even know? Have you given in to false ideas about who God is and what he's done? Have you given in to false ideas of how to meet God and get salvation? Have you given in to false ideas of how you get to live after you meet God in a real personal way? By the way, for some of you who are listening to me, if you think that Paul or Jude or Peter or the author of Hebrews was wrong and you're right, A, that's hubris, pride, and B, it's just not true. If you have any suspicion that actually you might be a false teacher or you've given to false teaching, you need to sit with kind, open Christians who really know the truth and without fear begin to work it out. And if you suddenly realize that you actually have been involved, you've touched falseness, it's okay. Repent, turn. See clearly and start to stand and experience the beautiful grace of Jesus. And maybe one of the best things the whole church could do is just say, Holy Spirit, have I done this and I don't even know? Would you show me? Here's the second thing. Do you need to make a call? When I was preaching through Jude, I, I did this little section. I want to do it again. Jesus' half-brother, when he was dealing with false teaching in a different way, gives some of the most beautiful pastoral and yet strong instructions of how to deal with this in verse 22 of Jude. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Hey, older Christian, get your mercy on. <laughs> Jude here is talking about Christians struggling with false ideas and morals, and mercy has to be shown. And mercy is active. You need a Zoom time. You, you need a coffee. You, you need a relationship. Behind every doubt, 
is not always a massive battle or a false teacher of the move. Many Christians just need to talk through their doubt. And I just want to say this again. Doubt and question are welcome, welcome, welcome at this church. Is the Bible true? How can Jesus be the only path to God? Why does God allow suffering? What about science and faith? How does it seem that the Bible, it feels so old and out of tune when it comes to love, marriage, and sexuality? The questions keep on flowing. We welcome these. No question is wrong. But the answers from God and his word may not be what you want them to be. But listen, hey, listen, if you're the person making the call, don't be harsh. Don't be nuclear. Take the time and have mercy. Second of all, he says in verse 23, snatch others from the fire and save them. This is a different group. This is not just Christians struggling with questions and doubt, but this is Christians that have started to partially or fully embrace false ideas. And, and, and Jude says, oh, go from mercy to direct confrontation. They are within hellfire. Belief matters. Plead with them. Warn them because it's actually serious. And then amazingly, he goes even farther. Though John says, give them no quarter in the church, Jude says, don't give them quarter to the church, but, but if you have a chance, you even try to help the false teacher. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Even these false teachers need to be reached out to, prayed for. They're not the enemy. They have to see them through the eyes of Jesus, loved and lost, and they might even need a process. But as you make a call, here's a great little moment that has to be embraced. One of the best pastoral verses that I give out to pastors and say to myself all the time in Galatians 6.1, hey, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you yourself might be tempted. When you're helping someone out of the mud, don't fall down into the mud. If we're going to stand clearly, we have to see clearly. We have to see that actually, though our world is becoming incredibly anti-authoritarian and populist, there are certain authorities that are non-negotiable with God. Do you know who God is? Do you know how to meet him? Do you know how to live after you've met him? This is the beginning conversation that is so desperately needed. So let's just take a moment together. Let's pray as a church and let's pray a few things. Number one, Lord, if, uh, well, let's pray this. First of all, Lord, send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to lead us to the true Jesus, to lead us to the Father, to lead us to the Bible, because the Holy Spirit's the author of Scripture. And if we are in small or large ways, in any way, shape, or form, getting involved in false teaching, would you convict us in Jesus' name? And Lord, for some of us who've just realized that we've crossed certain lines and we need to repent and humble ourselves, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd give them that ability. For other people, I pray right now, you'd begin to start bringing to their minds people they might need to call who are doubting, who've started to give into false teaching or have become false teachers themselves. And you'd orchestrate that event. But overall, as a church, Sanctus Church, the people marked as holy, would you lead us into all love and all truth? Mark us with grace and mercy and truth. Establish us in this time of so-called post-truth moments. 
Help us to stand boldly and love boldly in Jesus' name. Amen.